Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 39 is where we're going to be tonight. Paul continues and says, Likewise, the Spirit, you see that's capital S in your Bibles, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, as I shared with you before, this is a great place for us to take a break at the end of tonight's study before we meet back again and pick up in chapter 9, because there's going to be a break in the context of what's going on. And when we get back together, we're going to begin Paul talking about some deep theology, about God's eternal plan for Israel and so on, and future things, which we'll get to when we get back. But if you were with us last week, you remember how we broke chapter 8, verses 18 and following, down into three segments, pretty much. We looked at it from the angle of Paul saying, I know something you don't know. Remember that? How Paul had seen the third heaven, and he talked about how he considered our present suffering isn't worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. And then we looked at the fact that creation, he then goes on and says, creation knows something you don't know. Creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Because as we looked at last week, after the rapture of the church, when we receive our, our, our bodies and we, we are the, the, our adoption as sons is revealed, that's when creation knows they're next. But there's a third part that we're going to pick up on tonight. We looked already at the fact that Paul said, I know something you don't know. Creation knows something you don't know. And tonight we're going to take a look at the fact that he then goes on and says, the Holy Spirit knows things that you don't know. Now look again at verses 26 and 27. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, he's just talked about how he knows things and the creation knows things. Likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, the Holy Spirit knows what God's purposes in our suffering is or are. And He is praying for us 
even when we don't know how or what to pray for, in accordance with God's will and purpose and plan. Let me read this to you again. I want you to hear what I want you to see. The Holy Spirit knows what God's purposes are in our suffering, and He's praying for us, even when we don't know how to pray or what to pray for. The Holy Spirit's already praying for us in accordance with God's will and purpose and plan. Now, many of us have been taught this passage, and we've been taught that this passage is saying that when you don't know how to pray, you ask the Holy Spirit to help you pray, correct? There's nothing wrong with that. I believe that the passage is teaching that, but that's only a small portion of it. We've been taught that we're in a situation and we don't know how to pray. Holy Spirit, help me pray. Very good prayer. But don't think that when you say, Holy Spirit, help me pray, that that's the first time the Holy Spirit's been praying for you. I'm going to show you from Scripture that all along the Scripture has been showing us that when God puts us through things, He already knows what His purposes are in having us go through them, and He's already praying for us in line with His purposes. That's why we can get to in the next verse, we can know that all things will work for good for those that call God, uh, sorry, that love God and are what? The called according to His purpose. The Holy Spirit already knows why you're going through what you're going through. And God has allowed it for His purposes. And when we don't know, anybody always know what God's doing in your life? Me neither. But when we don't, the Holy Spirit can help us and sometimes pray with groanings that we don't even know how to pray ourselves and we just let the Holy Spirit take over for us. But He's also praying for us in accordance with God's purposes and will. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to Luke chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 31 through 34. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Jesus is speaking to Peter at this time, but he calls him by his old name to get his attention. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. By the way, that you is plural. All y'all talking about the disciples that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. That's why some of your translations will say Simon, even though the original text doesn't have another Simon. But they use that to clarify that that you in verse 32 is singular. All right. So Satan asked to sift you all. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, actually, I tell you, Peter, I see the new creation. I see the finished product. The rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So listen to what Jesus says. He says, Satan is asked to mess with you. And I let him. Has y'all ever thought about the fact that way back when Jesus taught us how to pray in the Sermon on the Mount, he taught us to pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then he talks about forgiving our trespasses, we forgive others. And then he adds one little part there, doesn't he? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Hang on for a second. Jesus taught us, when he taught us to pray, to say, Father, don't lead me into temptation. Stop. James chapter 1, verse 13 says that God tempts no one. Then why does he say, teach us to pray, Father, don't lead me into temptation? Why? Because God controls whether or not we're tempted. He doesn't tempt anyone, but he controls whether or not we're able to be tempted. For years, people have said, God will never give you more than you can bear. 
Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Everything is more than we can bear. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But the Bible teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that God will not allow you to be tempted more than you're able to bear. Uh, see the, you see the difference? But he also says this. He said, God, first off, he says, don't think you're being tempted by things other people aren't. Others have been through the same kind of temptation. You're not the only one going through it. And God will not allow you to be tempted with more than you're able to bear. And with the temptation, he'll provide a way for you to escape. Why does it sound like God is kind of active in my temptation? Because he is. Folks, once you become a child of God through Jesus Christ and you're sealed by the spirit of God, do you remember how the demons acted when they saw Jesus walk on the earth? They were like, we know who you are. You're the, you're the son of God. Humans only saw the physical Jesus. The demons saw God. Well, if you and I have been indwelt, and we have been, by God himself, Jesus is living within us. As we walk around, the demons, oh, the world may only see physical you and me, but the demons see who? They see Jesus. And they can't touch you and I without his permission. But sometimes he gives permission. Actually, a lot of times he gives permission. What was the first thing that happened to Jesus right after he came up out of the water from his baptism? He was led by the who? The Holy Spirit where? Into the wilderness to be tempted. Wow. And we keep thinking, when's it going to ease up? I think we read tonight in Romans 8, for his sake, we're given over to death every day. I had a chance to preach this morning to a group of guys that I do when I'm in town a lot of times on Tuesdays. And we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, that talks about how we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power comes from God and not from us. Oh, we're beaten and we're perplexed and we're struck, but we're not destroyed. We're not forsaken. And we go through stuff for God's purposes. And he said, Father, don't lead me into temptation, but if you choose to, deliver me from the evil one. My eyes are on you. So Jesus says to Simon, all that to get back to what Jesus said to Simon, he said, Satan asked to sift you as wheat. And I said, yes. No, I've set the parameters. He's not allowed to do more than I'm a, I allow him. And I'm not going to allow you to be tempted more than you're able to bear. But uh, I prayed for you. And my prayer was that when you fail this test, you don't quit. My prayer is that your faith may not fail. Now, did Peter, Peter think he needed prayer? No. You're wasting your breath praying for me, Jesus. I'm willing to go to prison and death. Jesus, actually, I know you better than you know yourself. Before the rooster even crows tomorrow morning, you're going to act like you never knew me three times. And by the way, who was right? It was Jesus. By the way, let me say something to you. When God puts us through times of suffering and trials and temptation, it's not only a time to remind us of our dependence on him and our brokenness and our humility, but it's also a test. If you were to go back and look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, we don't have time to chase all this tonight. There's so much I can't wait to show you, and we've got to stop tonight. Can't pick up next week because next time we get together is too far down the road. But 
Let me say this. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, you'll see that Jesus says, and God through Moses and Jesus is saying this. He says, remember how all these years, how the Lord your God led you in the wilderness. Did they end up in the wilderness because they took a wrong turn? No. They were led directly from Egypt to the wilderness. And God goes on and he says through Moses, God did this to humble you and to test you and to teach you. That's what all of us are going through. God is orchestrating our lives in such a way to remind us of our dependence. That's the humbling. It's also to test us and then to teach us how to follow him. Now, let me say this as well. When God says, to, and he did it to test you to see what was in your hearts, whether or not you'd keep his commandments. Let me ask you a question. When God gives you a test, is it so that God will find out what your response would be? No. So who's the test for? It's for us to find out. Remember, Peter says, well, let me back up. If I know that you're here and I need to move you to here, and I hope I'm staying in the camera at least because I have no idea if I have or not. I'm doing pretty good. All right. If I know that you're here and I need to move you to here, I can't move you from here to here if you think you're already here. Right. So what have I got to do before I can actually move you from where you really are to where I want you to be? If you think you're already there, I got to show you what where you really are. Now, years ago, when big old AJ was one year old, we moved into our house, which praise the Lord, we're a month away from paying it off. But when we moved into the house, there was this and still is this big pool in the backyard, in-ground pool with four different doors off the back of the house to the pool. And we were forever having to check all the locks because A.J. thought he could swim. And he wasn't very teachable because he didn't think he needed to be taught. But he wasn't afraid of the water. And I knew as his dad, he couldn't swim. So one day I decided to give him a swimming lesson because I was a lifeguard. I said, A.J., let me teach you how to swim. No. Why not? Can. You can swim? Yes. You don't need me to teach you? No. I said, okay. I said, um, Becky, go where you can't hear or see what's about to happen next. I really did. I said, you got to go play some music, plug your ears, go away. I'm going to give AJ a swimming test. And I took my son fully clothed and I threw him in the deep end of the pool. By the way, did he fail the test or did he pass the test? He, he, he failed it wonderfully. He failed it miserably. He drank half the pool. His eyes got this big. He thought he was going to die. And when I now realize that he who thought he was here now knows I'm here, I jumped in, pulled him out. And guess what? We didn't even have to lock the doors anymore. He wasn't going anywhere near that pool. But he was also now teachable. Now, was I upset that he failed the test? No. Oh, hang on for a second. Stick with me here. God sometimes has put you through tests and you failed them. He's not mad. He's not mad. He's actually kind of glad. Because now you see yourself for what he already knows. You see what I'm saying? The purpose of the test accomplished its purpose. And the Bible says that God will orchestrate our lives in such a way that he'll put us through things 
for his purposes. And sometimes it's just simply to show us we're not where we thought we were. And now to get us to that point where we're, remember, he humbles us and he tests us to show us where we really are, what he already knows, and to teach us. Oh, and by the way, I love how back in Deuteronomy he said um, to teach us that man doesn't live by bread alone, but man lives by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He wants us to how to learn to walk with him. Oh, and by the way, he also said this. He said, my solution to the problem I put you in there in the wilderness, my solution was something you've never seen before, nor had your fathers ever seen before. Remember the manna? He said, my solution was something you've never seen before, nor had your fathers ever seen before. And I did that on purpose so that you would learn to check with me and follow me. We're looking for the latest formula. Let me tell you something. Whatever God's putting you through right now, his solution is going to be different from how he, what he brought you through last time. And too many people go through stuff and God shows them things and they quickly write the book and tell everybody that's what you're supposed to do now too. No, let God walk you through what he wants to walk you through and let him show you what he wants to show you. His purposes are going to be accomplished. But don't miss this. Jesus says, I have a purpose for what I'm putting you through, Peter. And I've already prayed for you in line with that purpose. Do you see it? Go to Luke 23. So as you're praying, Holy Spirit, help me pray. He goes way ahead of you. Way ahead of you. Go to Luke 23, 32 through 37. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. That's with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. I don't know if you all caught this or not. Do you see how Jesus is praying for them in accordance with the will of the Father, even though they didn't know what the purpose of the Father was? Were the people saying, forgive us? No. Why was Jesus on the cross? To die for the sins of the world, that the Father would forgive them. And here he is praying for them in accordance with the purpose of the Father, even before they even knew what the Father's purpose was or what their need was. Let me say this to you again. I got no problem when you're in a struggle saying, Holy Spirit, help me pray. But don't think for a second that that's when he's going to start helping you. The Holy Spirit already knows what God's purposes are because he is God. And he's already been praying for you in accordance with God's purposes and what he wants to accomplish. The fact that we don't know what it is should help us to stop trying to figure it out. Just let him show you. Just let him show you. By the way, there's lots of preachers out there who will tell you what God's purpose is. I used to be one. When I was pastor of churches, people would come and say, what do you think God's doing in my life? And I would gladly tell them, well, God is doing this. And then one day I realized that wasn't the Holy Spirit. And that's not my job. My job is to point you to him. And he'll show you. Isn't that what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says? Remember Romans 12, 1 and 2? We're going to get there eventually when we come back in August. But Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, I beg you, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service or spiritual act of worship. 
And don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then what? Then you'll know what? The good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. He'll show you. Why, you, why do we run to preachers and run to other people saying, what's God doing? What's God's purpose? When the Bible says, if you'll lay yourself on the altar, if you'll say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, you've got a plan. Lord, I don't know what you're going through here. But you've said that if I would just put my eyes on you, lay myself as a living sacrifice, which is my worship of you, and trust you, you'll show me your will. Stop running to other people to seek the will of God. Run to the one who knows the will of God, God himself. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Jim, I still really struggle with the fact that God would show me. Well, it's about time you start knowing the Bible and believing it. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verses 6 through 16. He just finished saying that we don't come with human wisdom and all this stuff, but we come with the power of God. And he says, among the mature, verse 6, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. It's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor of the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Holy Spirit searches everything. Even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now the natural person, the lost person, doesn't accept the things of the Spirit because they're foolishness to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Now the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Don't miss what he's saying. As he's talking about how when we preach... We don't use human wisdom and, tr way and tricks to try to get the word across. We just preach trusting the power of God to open people's eyes. But he says we are imparting wisdom. But it's not a wisdom that's understood like people of this day and age in which you have enough schooling or enough knowledge. No, no. This is a spiritual wisdom that is available to anybody that's humble enough to be like a child and say, Lord, open my eyes. Lord, I want to see. You don't have to be the smartest. You can be the dumbest and understand this kind of wisdom. And then he also then goes on and he says, but who actually knows what people's thoughts are except the person who's thinking the thoughts? In the same way, who really knows the thoughts of God except the Holy Spirit of God who is God? But we have what? The mind of Christ. We can receive freely the things given to us by God. Well, I've already just told you. The Holy Spirit's not only praying for you in accordance with the will of God, He'll show you His will. Doesn't the Bible say in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of us lacks wisdom, let him what? Make an appointment with the preacher? No, let him ask God who gives freely to all 
without finding fault, but don't let that person doubt. Let them believe. Because the person that doubts is like an unstable man tossed by the wind. That person will not receive, will not receive anything from the Lord. Again, folks, it's time we move into a belief and a knowledge of the things we're going to be ending up with tonight. We all want to say amen when we get to the end of chapter 8. But as you're about to see, a lot of us still struggle with the fact that God loves us that much. Because when we go through these times of suffering, when we go through the trials, or if the cancer that I've had comes back, many people's tendency is to think God's mad, God's punishing, God's out to get me, I haven't done some things right. It's time that we came to really understand where Paul's going here in Romans chapter 8. And so he's just said to us that while we wait and groan inwardly because of the spirit within us to get our new bodies and get glorified. In the meantime, we're still here for God to shape us. And he's got a purpose and a plan for each of us. Don't think that the race that you have to run is going to look a lot like the person next to you. Chances are real good it's not going to, nor is it supposed to. All through the Bible, we see Jesus tell Peter, hey, don't worry about John. I'll take care of John. I got a plan for John. What if I want him to remain alive until I return? What's that to you? You follow me. I got a plan for your life, which is going to involve crucifixion, but uh, John's might not. And when he passed out the, in the parable of the talents, the talents he gave one five, another two, and another one each according to their abilities. Folks, you're going to find so much joy in your walk with the Lord if you take your eyes off of everybody else's race and you just follow Jesus and learn how to trust him and believe that he'll show you his plan and his purpose for your life. Now, we may not right away know God's specific purposes in our suffering, but we can right now know that his overall purpose is for our good. I'm going to say that again. We may not right away know God's purpose, specific purposes in our suffering, but we can know right now that His overall purpose is for our good. How do you know that? Romans 8.28. Good for you, Charlie. We know that... What? Quote it. Let's hear it. All things work together for... Good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So lock that in your head. You may not like what you're going through. You may not understand what you're going through. But God has already promised, I have good in mind. I don't see how anything good could come from this. Well, that's your problem. That means you're looking at it with man's eyes instead of God's eyes. It's either we believe God or we don't. But Jim, how could anything good come from losing my wife? Or how could anything good from me getting sick again? Or how could anything good from what come from what happened in Texas? God, how could we just go there? Well, we either believe the word of God or we don't. Let me take you to somewhere that's not in my notes, but I think God wants us to go there. Go to Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist is sitting in prison. This is the same one who said, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. The one who came after me was before me. That's the one who pointed to Jesus twice and said, there's the Lamb of God who took away the, is going to take away the sins of the world. He's the same one that said, I didn't know who he was, but except for the Holy Spirit, the one who sent me to baptize told me the one which you see the Spirit come down on in the form of a dove. That's the one. 
So did anybody know who Jesus was better than John the Baptist at that time? No. But look at chapter 11 of Matthew. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Now, before we go any further, let that sink in for a minute. John the Baptist, of all people, was starting to question whether or not Jesus really was who he said he was. Boy, that should make you and me feel better, doesn't it? If John the Baptist can question, you and I might have a time or two. So Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up and the poor have the good news preached to them. Now, before I read any further, you might not know this, but all Jesus does is quote scripture back to John. You go back and tell John Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and 2, and then he quotes a couple of other Old Testament passages. All he does is say, you go remind John what the word says. But then he adds what Vance Havner calls the forgotten beatitude. If I were to ask you to take me to the, all the beatitudes, you'd run to Matthew 5. Well, there's another beatitude right here. Look at it in Matthew 11, verse 6. And then Jesus says, And blessed is the one who was not offended by me. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of how I run my world. Folks, I want to tell you right now, you believe that Jesus died for your sins, right? And that he'll give you eternal life. Believe everything he said. I'll cause all things to work for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I have good in mind. I don't understand it. That's okay. I know you wouldn't. John the Baptist went through a period where he questioned it too. But for those who have faith, those who believe those who believe what I say and don't make their decisions on, well, the Bible says that there are some that seed that sprung up, but trouble came and they went away because they had no root. Others sprung up, sure looked like salvation, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choked them. I know too many people that have claimed to be followers of Christ who said it's just easier to just go with the world instead of fight against it. It's hard to follow God because he doesn't do things the way you would think. Jesus says to us, blessed is he who doesn't fall away on account of me. Now, go back to Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 29. We can know that God has a good purpose in mind because God has predestined us to be conformed into Jesus's image. Now, I don't have time to deal with predestination and election. We'll actually get into that a lot more when we get to chapter 9. But let me just say this to you. Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible say or does the Bible say who is predestined for salvation, but it talks about the hows and the things around salvation are predestined. Whenever the Bible talks about predestined, if you were to go back to room, look at Ephesians chapter 1, and again, we'll get to more of this when we come back to chapter 9, but when you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, how it talks about how he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, you could read that as he's already predestined that I would be saved and Joe wouldn't be. No. What's been predestined is that we would be adopted through who? Jesus. That was planned before the foundation of the world. We'll get to more of that. We're not going to do a study on predestination tonight, but we're going to deal with that deeply. And actually, we're going to be dealing with passages of Scripture you might not have ever even seen in the discussion. 
But that, that just gets you to come back because everybody wants to know about that one. But look again at what's been predestined. Does he predestine who will be saved? No. Look at what he says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. What's been predestined for those of us who are in Christ? That we would be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? If he's planned ahead of time to shape you into Jesus' image, you might as well stop fighting it. That's why Paul was told it's hard to kick against the goads. In other words, the, whole, the angel came and said to, actually, Jesus himself was speaking to Paul. He says, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. You can either surrender to it or be miserable. He's predestined to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Oh, by the way, some of you might not remember this, but maybe some of you do. How did Jesus learn obedience according to the book of Hebrews chapter 2? Through suffering. Remember again? Came from the baptism and was led immediately by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And did Jesus have it easy the rest of the time until the cross? No. The Bible says and shows us that Satan was allowed to come after him and come after him and come after him. But he kept his eyes on the Father and he submitted to the Father's plan. And because he was willing to take the role of a servant and submit himself not to his flesh, but to his Father... Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and following says that Jesus has been exalted and given a name which is above every name. If the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. Let me say this to you. Do you remember Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, right before this big section we've been breaking down? Paul says, His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. And not only that, if we're God's children, we're heirs, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And you never hear anybody preach the rest or quote the rest of the verse. Provided we what? We share in his sufferings. We suffer with him. The glory, the co-heirs with Jesus Christ will be those who are willing in this life to let God do his purposes in our life and through our lives to display his glory. He's given us this treasure in jars of clay to show that the passing power belongs to God. Again, I want to chase this, but we don't have time. But let me just say this to you. I had the privilege of sharing with the men today from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul says that he had been given these great visions of heaven, but he wasn't allowed to talk about them. And then God, to keep him humble, gave him this thorn in the flesh, messenger of Satan to torment him. So he prayed three times that God would give him the miraculous deliverance, and God's answer was no. And Paul said, then I'm going to choose the best thing. If you won't, allow me to revel in the heavenly vision and you won't allow the miraculous division, then this third thing must be best. I'm going to embrace the suffering because God's power is made complete and manifest in what? In weakness. What do we pray for in the church? What do the preachers today that are filling the stadiums and big sanctuaries preach? Heavenly visions, miraculous deliverances. You know what? God does those every now and then. He still does. But he said to Paul, actually, there's something better. Better than the heavenly vision. Better than the miraculous deliverance. 
My power is fully manifested in weakness. Paul says, then bring on the insults. Bring on the hardships. Bring on the persecutions. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Again, that's not going to fill stadiums, that kind of preaching. But I'm not here to preach to the stadiums. I'm here to preach to those who love the Lord and know the Lord and want to go deeper. Does God have a purpose in what you're going through? Yes. And it's good. Will you know what it is right away? No. Will you know what it is? Yes. He'll show you. He said that, would he not? Did he not say it? He'll reveal to you his will. He'll reveal his purpose. He will show us. We just need to believe and not doubt. We're, exactly. We're not children of the darkness. I love that. By the way, Philippians 1.6. You don't have to turn there. I'll just get it started. I know you can finish it. Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will what? We'll finish it, right? Because he's predestined to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at verses 23 and 24. First Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Well, Jim, I'm not getting there as fast as the guy next to me. You weren't listening earlier, were you? Don't. Put your eyes on somebody else. You put them back on Jesus. Well, don't you think that I would have been there by now? I don't know what God's plan is for you and his purpose is for you. No, it's good. And I also know he's patient and he's merciful. And he's not in much a, as much a hurry as we've been taught. So why don't you take a deep breath and stop saying I should have been there by now and say, Lord, let's go. I want to walk with you today and accomplish through me what you want and in me what you want. Go to Jude 24 and 25. Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Isn't that awesome? He's going to finish what he started. That's why he would say, hey, um, Simon, even though he'd already become Peter. You're going to look like the old guy for a while, but it's okay. I prayed for you. And you're going to fail this one miserably, but wonderfully at the same time. And my prayer God's purpose is that you'd get stronger through this and you realize where you really are and that you won't quit when you do fail, that your faith won't fail. Oh, I didn't quote the rest of that passage. He then says this, and when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. You're actually going to be able to help the Jews. I think that's who the brothers are that he's talking about. Remember, Peter was chosen to preach to the Jews. You're going to be actually better able to preach to the Jews who denied me and rejected me and killed the Messiah. Because you will have done the same thing in the fact that you lived with me for three years. You saw my glory on that mountain. You saw me raise Jairus' daughter. You were one of the special ones who got to see more than the others. 
And you said, not only do I not know him, I never met the guy, and I swear to God, I've never met him. But you know what? You're going to be the best guy I can use to go back and preach to the people who killed the Messiah. Sorry, I did the same thing. You denied him. You rejected him. So did I. And he forgave me. He'll forgive you. Folks, you ever thought about the fact that God uses some of the mess in our lives to use us? There are things that you've been through that I've never been through. And there are people that God wants to use you in their lives because you can honestly say, been there. There are people out there that need to know God loves them even though they have a drinking problem or a drug problem or a sex problem. I've never really had those. I've never taken a drug. I've never had a drink. I've got lots of other problems. We don't have time to list those because if I shared with you, you'd get up and walk out of the room. But, of course, if I knew what you guys did, I probably wouldn't even talk to you. But let me just say this. God can take your brokenness and use you to minister to people because you can look them in the eye and say, been there better than I can. Warren, you you had your hand raised back there? Were you just amening back? Witness, okay, yeah. I don't know if you had a question, but you're a witness, I understand. Look at how Romans 30 says the same thing we've just been looking at, that it's pretty much a done deal. Look at how Romans 30, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 30 is in the past tense. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Do you see what's all in the past tense? God already sees it as done. That's why he can look at Simon Peter and say, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow, you're going to deny you didn't even know me three times. Well, why are you calling him Peter? Because I see the finished product. I see the finished product. And folks, we've got to trust that God, who said he would start it and finish it, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who said he's predestined to conform us into the image of Christ, if we are truly his, it's going to happen. But we'll enjoy the journey a whole lot more if we believe the truth. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 4 through 6. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Is that future or is that done? It's done. Can anybody explain that to me real quick? You want to switch places with me real quick and explain that? I can't. But we've already seated in the heavenly places with Christ. We say, well, I don't know if I really believe. That's just one verse. Go to Colossians chapter 3. You're in Ephesians. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hard for us to grasp, but it's done. Folks, we need in this war against our flesh to live with a daily reminder of these truths. That's why we have to renew our mind. And what does God renew our minds with? What does he sanctify us with? His word. Have you ever noticed 
Every time people were questioning or wondering or doubting or discouraged, all he did was give them the word. The two men on the road to Emmaus, we thought he was the one. We thought he was going to redeem Israel. Some of our guys came back and said the tomb was empty. Some of our women said they saw angels and, ah, oh, we don't know. And all Jesus does for that seven-mile walk back to Emmaus is just give them the word. Give them the word. Give them the word. Again, we either need to believe it or we're not going to. Satan, by the way, is going to try to get us to focus on ourselves and our failures instead of on Christ and his promises. He wants to use fear to keep us from knowing the truth. Go back to Romans chapter 8. Look at verse again, again at verses 15 through 17. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, and if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Look again, we didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. 2 Timothy 1. Go to 2 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, he says to, my, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as I did my, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, I want you to keep reading, though. Notice how he says what he says next with that strong faith. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. In other words, I'm not worried about how well I do. My eyes are on him. He said he'd start it. He said he'd finish it. I'm going to be all right. And even in the suffering. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 7. Talking about these people that are always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Now listen closely. There are tons of people that love study. They spend all their time reading everything, studying everything, but swallowing nothing. Don't be one of those people 
that's forever reading about it, but never receiving it. They're always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Folks, many a times I've thought to myself, I wish I could just shake you. So I can get you to see it. But is shaking you going to do it? No, it's going to take you acting in faith and believing that what God has said is true. And as Jesus said earlier in John chapter 8, he said, anybody that does the works of my father and the words of my father will know that what I'm saying is true. How are you going to know? Well, you just got to believe it and act on it. And when you do, you'll know. So I'm not going to shake you when I see you. I might give you a hug as we don't see each other for a few months, but I promise not to shake you. At least not most of you. We need to know, meditate on, and believe God's promises and his love for us. So let me give you a couple of promises I want you to start meditating on. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, real good, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped, there it is, past tense, from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is what Peter says. He says, God's already given you, because of your knowledge of Jesus and Him living within you, everything you need for life and godliness. And He's granted to us all these great promises that if you would just act on them by faith, you would be able to escape the corruption of this world. This past Sunday, our pastor, uh, I say the youth pastor of our church was preaching. It was Youth Sunday and Graduate Sunday and he was preaching from John chapter 5 where Jesus comes to the man at the pool of Bethesda and he says, you're healed. Rise and walk. And God spoke to me. There are some areas in my life where I still wrestle and struggle. And God said, the man could have either believed what Jesus said or he could have just said, but you don't understand. I've been here 38 years and I've really struggled and I've tried to walk and I can't do all this stuff. All Jesus said was, you're healed. Rise and walk. And God spoke to my heart and he said, Jim, you've got the power. Get up. What are you saying? Well, it's the thing I struggle with. Yeah. But I've already given you the power. Act on it. One of my things I struggle with is worry. Good news is, the more I believe God, the less I worry. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verses 14 through 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you, we've already been told he's been grant, these, these promises have been granted to us, to be strengthened, with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We don't have time to unpack this, but buddy, look at that. Paul says, my prayer now is, knowing that you're already saved, is that you would have the ability by God, Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith, to understand the height, the width, the depth, the breadth of the love of God, and that you would experience all the fullness of God. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you, show of hands, have experienced all of what has been promised here? Me neither. Because if you raised your hand, you're done, all right? We better measure you for your coffin tonight. <laughs> but listen, it's still there. It's available to us. But the question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? 1 John chapter 4. Look at verses 13 through 18. 1 John chapter 4 verses 13 through 18. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He's given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. You see the difference between knowing and believing? That's one of the biggest things we struggle with is we know it, but we don't know it. We don't believe it. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. And by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now listen closely. The Bible does teach that we're to fear the Lord, but if you were to go and look at Psalm 34, he would actually say, he goes, taste and see that the Lord is good. Those who fear the Lord... Have no lack. Let me teach you, he goes on in Psalm 34 to say, let me teach you the fear of the Lord. Just do what he says. Because what he has is best. Whatever he says is best. It's not a fear of, well, if I don't do it, God's going to punish me. No, 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 no. That's a fear of punishment. Whoever's fearing punishment has not been perfected in God's love. Folks, I'm not worried about God getting me. I'm, I don't want to miss out on the reward. I have a generous father who loves to bless. But as you as a parent could not bless when your kids were in walking in disobedience, you loved them and you ate and grieved over the fact that, man, I really wanted to bless you right now, but you can't reward this behavior in the same way. You grieve the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit when we walk in disobedience to him. But he loves us and you don't get to experience the full extent of his love because you're too busy missing out. But the moment we repent, the moment we say, I thought I was here, now I realize I'm here, God says, oh good, let me open my wallet. Let me pour out my blessings. Now again, he's not going to make you a millionaire and doesn't promise you to ever be sick. Remember, we're always given over to suffering because of our walk with the Lord. But at the same time, Paul says, those who fear the Lord have no lack. They lack no good. If you're still afraid that God's going to be upset with you and punish you, you don't think Jesus paid the full price, 
and you've not been perfected in love. And if all of us are honest, every one of us still struggles with that a little bit. That's why Paul prayed that we would together with all the saints, that's another message for another time, we need each other in this journey of moving into fully understanding God's love for us. And that's why his commands are what? Love one another. Do it for each other. In community as God designed us to come to know the love of Christ. If you isolate yourself from the body of Christ, you will never ever come to the full understanding of God's love for you. He's designed it to happen in community. And without the community, you'll never experience, oh, I had an experience with God. Well, that was nice, but you're still not even close to the full understanding according to the scriptures of God's love without community. Go to Romans 8. Look at verses 31 through 39. And can we do this in the time we have left? Yes, we can. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who condemns? By the way, who condemns? Jesus. If you don't know this, go write this down and double check me. John chapter 5, verse 22. Jesus says, the father judges no one, but he's handed all judgment over to the son. So the one who's determining whether or not you get into heaven or not is not God the father. Too many of you out there have been taught that one day I'm going to stand before God the father. and He's going to weigh my good and my bad. No, no, no. The one who determines whether we go into heaven is not the Father, but it's Jesus the Son. And his measurement, his determining factor is not how good you've been, but whether or not he knows you. Oh, so the one who condemns is Jesus, and he's already died for us. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. How's he interceding for us? By just being alive. By being alive. He's interceding for us. He's not talking to God on our behalf in the sense of, hey, he's really a good guy, that Jim Johnson guy. No, no, no. He's interceding for me by being alive and because I'm in him and he's in me and as he is, so am I in the world. Just by him being alive. And by the way, he's never going to die. The one that's made me righteous, the one who's going to condemn, he's already died for my sins, declared me as his, sealed me with his spirit. So what's going to separate me from the love of Christ? Nothing. Tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Danger? Sword? Nope. But now, for his sake, we're being killed all the day long. It's just part of suffering in this life, in the same purpose that God had for the Father, so the Father had for the Son to suffer, and we are now in his footsteps. We're going to be doing, going through similar things. But then he goes on and he says this, he says, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. And I love because there's someone out there that's looking for a loophole. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that awesome? Let me ask you a question. What would your life look like if you really believed that? What kind of a joy and a peace would you and I have if we really, really believed that God is for us? 
and that Satan can do nothing to us without the Father's permission. And when God allows him, he'll provide a way to escape or he'll turn and use it for our good. Either way, he is there and he says, keep your eyes on me. I don't understand. Yeah, but you will in time. Don't worry, I'll show you. But right now, I just want you to walk, walk with me and keep your eyes on me. Did Jesus have any fears as he walked through this earth? No, he was in constant communication with the Father. Did he suffer? Sure. In ways that you and I might not ever suffer. But at the same time, we don't have a high priest that's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's been tempted in every way, yet without sin. And if he died for us, and if God's for us, and he's guaranteed our eternity, and he sealed us by his spirit, what do you and I really have to fear? Nothing. And like I've said before, when we get to the point where we no longer fear death, Satan has nothing on us. You might as well surrender to this love. You're going to be miserable until you do. And until then, I love you. And we'll see you in August. We'll dive into chapter 9. Thanks for coming.